Namacharya Shilharidas Thakur Ki Jai Prem Chikar Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri all glorious to the assembled All glorious to the assembled All glorious to the assembled all glorious to Shri Guru and Galanga, all glorious to Shri
Although the living entities are also parts and parcels of the Lord, they are overcome by the material energy. The inconceivable yogam aishwaryam of the Lord, as mentioned in Bhagavad Gita 9.5, is misunderstood by the frogish philosophers. You know what Brahma calls them frogs. Mm-hmm. What is in reference to? In reference to the a philosopher who comes to a frog in a well and says, let me tell you about the Pacific Ocean. And the frog, is it as big as my well? No, much bigger. Twice as big? No, much bigger. Ten times as big? And the frog starts puffing itself up trying to show how big the Pacific Ocean might be. It ends up bursting. So in other words, trying to understand the supreme from our own perspective. So for he calls them frogish. In order to support in the theory that Narayana, the Lord himself, has become a Dharidra Narayana, a poor man, they propose that the material energy overcomes the Supreme Lord. So this is in reference to the idea that uh, every, all of us are God, and that the best way we serve God is to serve the poor. And that when you're serving the poor, you're serving the Dharidra Narayana, the poor Narayana. So their idea is that all of us are God, and that we become overcome, we as God have become overcome by Maya. This is the, the concept that Srila Prabhupada is defeating here. Srila Goswami, Srila Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, however, offer a very nice example and explanation. They say that although the sun is all light, the clouds, darkness, and snowfall are all part and parcel of the sun. Without the sun, there's no possibility of the skies becoming overclouds with clouds or darkness, nor can there be snowfall on the earth. And so the sun is creating all these things by the water cycle. By the heat of the sun, the water is being evaporated, causing clouds and rain and snowfall and fog and mist and so many things. But the sun itself doesn't have, there's no snow on the sun. (laughs) There's no clouds on the sun. Although life is sustained by the sun, life is also disturbed by darkness and snowfall produced by the sun. But it is also a fact that the sun itself is never overcome by darkness, clouds, or snowfall. The sun is far, far away from such disturbances. Only those who have a poor fund of knowledge say that the sun is covered by a cloud or by darkness. I love Prabhupada's use of this word, poor fund of knowledge, a very polite way. (laughs) Instead of saying you're foolish, or even to say you're ignorant, you just have a poor fund of knowledge. Your, your bank account of knowledge just doesn't have very much in it. <laughs> Similarly, the Supreme Brahman or the Param Brahman, the personality of Godhead, is always unaffected by the influence of material energy, although it is one of his energies. There is no reason to assert that the Supreme Brahman is overpowered by the illusory energy. The clouds, darkness, and snowfall can cover only a very insignificant portion of the sun's rays. Similarly, the modes of material nature may react upon the ray-like living entities. It is the misfortune of the living entity, certainly not without reason, that the influence of the material energy acts on his pure consciousness and eternal bliss. So this is an example that Prabhupada gives very often, coming from Vishnu Chakravati Thakur and Jiva Goswami, that the sun, the cloud, covers a certain portion. Right? When you're flying an airplane, you can see the shadows of the clouds on the earth, yes? If it's a partially cloudy sky, you can see the clouds, and it's making a shadow on some part, and the people who are on that part of the earth, they're in the shadow. So for the people in that shadow, to them, the sun is covered. So you can say this, the cloud is preventing some of the sun's rays from reaching the earth. 
Therefore, the cloud is covering some of the rays of the sun. But the cloud is not covering the sun. So we who are the ray-like particles of God, we can be covered by this cloud. But Krishna himself is not covered by the cloud. And Prabhupada calls it, you can say, why are we covered? Prabhupada calls it your misfortune. And then he says, certainly not without reason. So it's not whimsical misfortune. It's not that the, the illusory energy just sort of whimsically or randomly covers certain living entities and doesn't cover other living entities. This covering up of pure consciousness and eternal bliss is due to avidya karma sangya, the energy which acts on the infinitesimal living entities who misuse their minute independence. According to Vishnu Purana, Bhagavad Gita, and all of the Vedic literatures, the living entities are generated from the tatasta energy of the Lord, and thus they are always the energy of the Lord and not the energetic. The living entities are like the sun's rays. Although as explained above, there is no qualitative difference between the sun and its rays, the sun's rays are sometimes overpowered by another energy of the sun, namely by clouds or by snowfall. Similarly, although the living entities are qualitatively one with the superior energy of the Lord, they have the tendency to be overpowered by the inferior material energy. In the Vedic camps, it is said that the living entities are like the sparks of fire. Now we're going to another analogy. The rays of the sun, and here are the sparks of fire. The sparks of fire are also fire. But the burning potency of the sparks is different from that of the original fire. When the sparks fly out of touch with the original fire, they come under the influence of a non-fiery atmosphere. Thus they maintain the potency to again to be again one with the fire as sparks, but not as the original fire. The sparks can everlastingly remain within the original fire as its parts and parcels. In other words, there's no force. The sparks have the ability to stay within the fire. They're not forced to leave the fire. But the moment the sparks become separated from the original fire, their misfortune and miseries begin. The clear conclusion is that the Supreme Lord, who is the original fire, is never overpowered, but the infinitesimal sparks of the fire can become overpowered by the illusionary effect of Maya. It is the most ludicrous argument to say that the Supreme Lord is overpowered by his own material energy. The Lord is the master of the material energy, but the living entities are in a conditioned state controlled by the material energy. That is the version of Bhagavad Gita. The froggish philosophers who put forward the argument that the Supreme Lord is overpowered by the material mode of goodness are themselves illusioned by the same material energy, although they think of themselves as liberated souls. So here Sri Prabhupada is referring to the philosophy of some impersonalists who say that Vishnu is a manifestation of ignorance and goodness. Uh, Prabhupada is dealing here with some very, in a, in a very sutra-like way, with some very specific arguments of certain philosophical groups. So, you know, he's not already the purport is two and a half pages. But many of these sentences are referring in a concise form, like in coded form, to a whole book of arguments that are made against our Vaishnava perspective. They support their arguments by a false and laborious jugglery of words, which is a gift of the same illusory energy of the Lord. That sentence in itself is fascinating, isn't it? You can support your arguments, your, your false arguments, by the grace of Maya. But the poor froggish philosophers, due to a false sense of knowledge, cannot understand the situation. So now Prabhupada instead of saying a poor fund of knowledge, he says a false sense of knowledge. You think you know something that you don't really know. 
In the sixth canto, ninth chapter, 34th verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam, it is stated, Dura Baboda Iva Tavayam Vihara Yoga Yad Asarano Sharira Idam Anavekshitasmat Samavaya Atmanyai Vavikriyamanena Sadhunam Agunam Shrijasi Pasi Harsi. Thus the demigods prayed to the Supreme Lord that although his activities are very difficult to understand, they can still be understood to some extent by those who sincerely engage in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. The demigods admitted that although the Lord is apart from the material influence of creation, he nevertheless creates, maintains, and annihilates the complete cosmic manifestation by the agency of the demigods. Maitreya Uvacha Seyam Bhagavato Maya Yan Nayena Virujite Ishvarasa Vimuktasya Karpanyam Uttabandhanam. Sri Maitreya said, certain conditioned souls put forward the theory that the Supreme Brahman, or the Personality of Godhead, is overcome by illusion or maya, and at the same time they maintain that he is unconditioned. This is against all logic. So here Maitreya is replying to this argument that maybe there's something wrong with God. That maybe our entanglement in this material world is due to the fact that God is not all good, that God is also influenced by evil, that there's evil in the world because there's evil in God. How, why would an all-good God put us into illusion? Maybe he's also illusion. Maybe we're all God, and this is just our pastimes to be an illusion, which would be pretty lousy pastimes. <laughs> right? Enjoyable pastimes. And, uh, of course, the, these sort of accusations against God are coming from the living entities asking again, why am I suffering? And why is it so difficult to get out of suffering? <clears throat> why can't I just get out of suffering? But you know, there's all these, these new age or impersonal philosophers who just sort of say, you know, you just sit down and you meditate on the void and you just say, I am not suffering, I am not suffering, I am not suffering, and poof, you know, you should get out of suffering. It doesn't work like that. And then you have the materialists who try to get out of suffering by, you know, drilling for petroleum and creating penicillin and flying to wherever they're flying to, the moon, or wherever they're going to. And, you know, they're trying to get out of misery in that way, right? And then you have the other people trying to get out of misery just by intoxication and, and sleep and uh, entertainment and so forth. And it doesn't work, whichever way we try to do it, isn't it? Rather, you try to do it in Sattva Guna or Raja Guna or You're just like fighting on the, banging on the walls of this impenetrable cage. And so the living entity, especially in the human form, says, you know, why am I suffering? Why, and why can't I see reality? Jai Dehu mentioned the other day that the scientists say they can only perceive 4% of the universe. Of course, they can't really know that it's only 4%. Right, if you don't know what the total is. You don't, you don't even know what you don't know. You know. I mean, they could only be perceiving a fourth of a billionth of a percent of they actually don't even know that. Our, our brother Vyasaki wrote a, a nice book about what's wrong with the scientist's theories. And it, his book's doing very well. I think it's number one in Amazon in its category but how little that they know and how they admit to each other. They may not admit to the public. Sometimes it kind of slips out. 
but you know, they admit to each other, we really don't know anything. You know, the, we have these theories about gravity, but then if our theories are true, why do the planets act like this? Our theories don't coincide with reality. You know, we, we just don't know anything. Uh, so, you know, why, why am I an illusion? Why don't I have knowledge? Why don't I understand what's going on? Eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Why aren't I eternal? Why am I getting old? Why am I getting sick? Why am I getting injured? Why do I have to die? I don't want any of these things. And why am I so ignorant? Why don't I know what's going on? Why don't I understand the results of what I do? You know, I make a decision thinking it's a good decision. I do the research and it all turns out bad. Why don't I have knowledge? It happens all the time, right? Somebody does all this research and care about who they marry, and then a week later, they're like, oh my God, what are they doing? Or they they work hard to get a job, they even move to another country. You know, you read all the time, all the time, of people in in poor countries who hope to better their family by working in another country. And they go there, you know, we've spent some time in the Middle East, and there's all these workers from India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. And they go there with promises, you know, you'll get a better life, and you'll get this, and you'll get that, and you'll make so much money every hour, and as soon as they get off the boat or the plane, their so-called employer uh, steals their passport. (laughs) Steals their passport. And says to them, okay, you're only going to work for, you know, one-tenth of what we promised you, and you're going to live in, I've been to the labor camps, you're going to live in the labor camps. uh, Basically, they become almost like slaves, and so why, we don't have knowledge. We make decisions and we don't know. We're thinking, oh, this decision, this job, this person, this, it's going to get me a better life. And it doesn't. Right? Even this body that we have is a result of our poor decisions in previous lives. How do we get this, this body? So we don't have knowledge. And then we certainly don't have bliss. I mean, if we analyze on any particular day, how many minutes of that day are filled with happiness? Not so many. And even that happiness we get, it's limited, it's temporary, it's limited in time, it's limited in scope. And it's, it's, it's altogether, life is kind of frustrating in illusion. So we don't have any eternity, we don't have, you know, we don't have knowledge, and we don't have bliss. So why? We want these things and we don't have them. And despite all of our efforts, we don't seem to be able to get them. So then we turn to this idea that maybe God is illusioned. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's our conclusion. God must be illusioned. You see this with uh, with children. You see this with children. That children tend to blame their parents. Even sometimes adults do that, blame their parents for all of their problems. It's quite common. It's all my mother's fault, it's all my father's fault, all the problems that I have in my life. But little children especially do this, you know. Mommy, I hate you, you're unfair, why are you so mean? It's very common that the child can't understand that the parents are acting for their benefit. And even if you try to explain, and I remember one time with one of my grandchildren, she was really insisting, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And we're trying to explain to her why it would be harmful. And no matter how we explained it, it didn't, because she wanted to do it so much, she just couldn't understand her explanations. And then she finally said, You're just all mean, you all hate me. You know? And she stormed off in her room and slammed the door. 
So this is the, the way that the conditioned living entities generally think of towards God. Well, you must just hate me. You know, or you're just delusioned. You're not really what, you know, either you don't exist at all or you're not very nice. Right? And so here the explanation is given that Krishna is all good. and He's not influenced by the modes of material nature. He's not all evil. At the same time, uh, this material energy is his energy. It is his energy. But he hasn't manifested it out of illusion on his own part, and he hasn't manifested it out of maliciousness on his own part. In fact, this material energy is a Vaishnavi. Durga Devi is a Vaishnavi. She's uh, the Lord's sister. Very nice when Gopu Kumar in the Brihad Bhagavatamita, when he's going through the layers of the universe, he finally gets to the last layer and there he meets the personification of property. I, I, I love that description. This is a wonderful description. And property, in each layer, the predominating uh, person there is worshipping a particular deity. So in the layer of earth, the main person there is Bhumi, the earth goddess, and she's worshipping, who does she worship? What form of the Lord? Varaha. Right, and in fire, they're worshipping Surya Narayan, in water, they're worshipping Matsya. And in the final layer, Prakriti, Prakriti Devi is worshipping. Anyone know who she's worshipping? Mohini Murti. She's worshipping Mohini Murti. And when Gopal Kumar comes there, she says, if you want to get through this layer and you want to attain liberation, you have to please me. She says, because I am the Lord's devotee and I am the Lord's sister. She said, I hold the key to liberation. So this illusory energy of the Lord is not also evil. Durga Devi and her husband Lord Shiva. Shiva is the personification of the time factor that, that is the beginning of illusion. The Lord's glance, the Lord's Mahavishnu glances at Maya, and that glance is time and Shiva. And Shiva, Vaishnava Yatasana, he's the greatest Vaishnava. We're coming up to Shiva Ratri very soon. So Shiva is not evil. Mirinda Shivu says that the Western concepts of the devil probably had some relationship to Lord Shiva, you know, with his trident and his skulls and his demon hordes that follow him around. But Shiva is a great Vaishnava. Shiva means auspicious. And Durga Devi is Vaishnavi. So they are also beneficent beings. And the whole energy is actually beneficent. The whole energy is loving even the material illusory energy, it's a manifestation of love. And Prabhupada talks about here, quoting Krishna Chakravati Thakur and Jiva Goswami about the clouds and the snowfall and the rain and the darkness and the fog. But these things also are part of the whole cycle of life. Rain is not evil. Is rain evil? Even though it blocks the sun. It's part of the whole way of purifying the water. And really quite fascinating how Krishna purifies the water, isn't it? I mean, if it goes through the earth and through the rocks and into the aquifers or it goes into the ocean and then it's evaporated. And we haven't found any system, none by human beings, that's as good as purifying the water as Krishna's system. Have we? <laughs> we can't even come close to it. I don't know if you all know this, but there's um, the biologists are noticing now that there's problems with fish. They're noticing that a lot of fish have become very placid and they just kind of wait there for another fish to eat them. 
And they're also noticing that fish are having different hormonal disturbances in their whole reproductive systems. And what they've discovered is what's happening is people are ingesting all these medicines, and some extent of the medicine is, com is coming out in the urine, and that we don't have any water purification system that's sufficient to deal with it. So what's happening is that these, um, these fish are on Prozac. Literally, you know, they're, they're on these anti-anxiety medicines. No, seriously, they're discovering this in, in the bodies of the fish. And the fish are so relaxed and chilled out that they're just like, oh, there's a shark. Hi, shark. <laughs> you know, and all the, the hormonal contraceptives are going in the water and it's, it's um, feminizing all the fish. So many fish now, they're, they're hardly producing any male fish. And just imagine what it's doing in our own water supply. So we don't have any idea, you know, all of us now when we drink water, we're drinking all the psychotropic drugs and hormonal drugs that people, it's pretty scary. Problems that do not take your birth again and again in this colony. So we don't know, we know with all of our big brains, we can't do this, but Krishna can do this. Krishna can purify the water. Krishna has this perfect system of purifying the water. When the sun evaporates the water, it evaporates pure water, distilled water. There's no chemicals in it at all. It's just pure water, and then it rains down pure water. So Krishna has all this system, and it may appear to us to be negative. Oh, it's raining. Oh, there's clouds. You know, it's dark. <laughs> but it's, it's, and even the dark cycle, the darkness at night, that's for the resting and rejuvenation of the living entities. The plants and their photosynthesis, they have a dark cycle. And there's these, these periods of rest and organization of the mind and replenishment of the muscles. So it may seem like it's negative, well, here's a night and here's a cloud, but actually it's all beneficent. All of it is, is giving. And what is Krishna giving? What is even Maya Devi, Vaishnavi, and Lord Shiva? What are they giving in this illusory energy? They're giving the chance for the rebellious living entities to play out their fantasies. As we said the other day, otherwise, what do you do with the rebellious living entities? What do you do with them? You know, there has to be the facility for rebellion, otherwise there's no love. You can't have a world of absolute freedom. The spiritual world is a world of absolute, total freedom. Every living entity can do absolutely, totally, completely whatever they want. Instantly. They can go wherever they want. They can do whatever they want. They can manifest whatever they want. They can take whatever forms they want. All these are so nice to explain in the Bhagavatam. We have Bhagavatam and So if you have absolute freedom, that has to include the freedom to say, I don't want absolute freedom. It has to. I mean, otherwise, how is it absolute? If there's some area of freedom that's not there. So some living entities, as Prabhupada says, not... Certainly not without reason. There's a reason. So some living entities say, I don't want Krishna to be the enjoyer. You know, as we progress in Krishna consciousness, sometimes we're aware, we become aware. Well, he or she will probably say, Krishna is the only enjoyer, and we can feel the rebellion in our heart. Have you ever experienced that? <laughs> you know, you read in the books, you hear Prabhupada speaking, Krishna is the only enjoyer, and something in you goes, I don't like that. One, one devotee told me, uh, she said that she was, she was listening to one of my classes and I was talking about how Krishna is in the, sitting in the center of the cowherd boys. And she said as soon as she heard that, she thought, why does Krishna have to be in the center? 
know, I remember once talking with one devotee and they were quoting Bhakti Sananta saying that Krishna is a transcendental autocrat. And immediately I thought, I don't like autocrats. <laughs> so if, if we're honest, if we're honest, and this honesty should come as we're chanting Hare Krishna taking prasadam, we should start seeing ourselves honestly. We'll see that we really are rebellious souls, that this wasn't just some sort of, you know, blindfold random pick on the part of God. Well, you know, you, I don't really like you. You know? <laughs> I didn't like you the way you danced and wrestled you last night. It's not like that. That we have this inner rebellion. Why does Krishna have to be at the center? Why does Krishna have to be the enjoyer? Why can't I be the enjoyer? Why can't I have my turn in the center? And how is that going to be fulfilled? How do you fulfill that kind of a desire? Because it's not real. Can we all be in the center? What happens if everybody's in the center? There's just conflict and chaos. Prabhupada gives the example of you throw rocks in the water. If you throw them all in the same place, the concentric circles don't collide, but if you throw them in different places, all the circles collide. And we see in every organization there's some leader. Anarchy doesn't work. You can't just say, well, everybody just do whatever they want. You know, imagine that. If, if we said, okay, we're going to, you know, fix up the temple room, I noticed there was a few, like, peeling paint and cracks and stuff. So let, let's, let's, let's fix up the temple room. Okay, everybody, you just do it however you want. <laughs> and just imagine, what would it look like? Everyone can get their own paint and everyone can get their own tools and nobody coordinates with anybody else. It would be a mess. It would be ugly. And everybody would suffer. And while we were doing it, we'd all be suffering. Well, I want to paint that green. I'm going to paint it purple. Well, we have to do it the way I want. No, we have to do it the way I want. No, we have to do it the way I want. And we'd be fighting over who's going to be just simply chaos and fighting. And that's the nature of the material world. So how do you do that? How do you have some area? How do I get to be God? If I want to be the center, you all have to agree that I'm the center. You all want to agree that I'm the center? We all going to agree that you're the center of you know. Yeah, everyone else has to agree. It's not going to happen. So what's Krishna going to do? Because he's Eko Bahanam Yogadadatikama, he fulfills all the desires of the living entities. But we're asking for something that's impossible. So he could just say, All right, just you know, go into a holding pattern. And as we said, he does that at the in the destruction period, Bhutva Bhutva Puliate. Whenever there's destruction, the living entities are in a state of deep, deep sleep without even a gross or a subtle body for billions and billions and billions of years. You know, it's like you say to a troublesome child, just go in your room. Just go in your room. Be quiet. Go away. <laughs> I don't want to see you. Right? Or people take a time out, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to punch you in the nose. Okay, I have to keep the time out. I'm just going to walk. So Krishna's like, okay, quickly. It's actually explained in the fifth canto that at a certain point, a non-cessation becomes just really frustrated with all the living entities and says, it's enough already. And fire starts coming out of his mouth and he just burns the whole thing down. Do you ever feel like that? You ever try to help somebody and you try to help them 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 and you say, and Krishna puts all the living at the end. But then because it is his mercy, he doesn't keep us in this deep sleep. So what's he going to do? The only way to fulfill these desires of ours 
is an illusion. They cannot be fulfilled in reality. I know one devotee who said when he read Krishna's book and he was reading about Rasalila, he thought, why does Krishna get all the gopis? Why don't I get any? But the gopis aren't going to go with him. It's not going to work. If he shows up and he says, hey, you know, that's what Sankachuta tried to do. Sankachuta came and said, wait a minute, I want these gopis for myself. And they said, we don't want to go with you. We want to be with Krishna. So what are you going to do? You know, if you want to have your own gopis, if you want to have your own universe, if you want to be the center, if you want to be the enjoyer, the only way to get that desire fulfilled is an illusion. And Krishna makes the illusion so perfect, and we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, that we think it's real. We really believe it. I mean, he's really good at it. I don't think any computer game maker or movie maker or book writer can create such an incredible illusion. We really think, this is me. It's me. And I am doing this, and I am doing this, and I am creating. And you could say, well, it's kind of rigged against you. But Krishna's even willing to let you have an illusion that's very favorable. You know, on the higher planets, there's not much suffering. Yes, you know that? This is a very low planet. As I said the other day, we're, we're at the bottom of the middle planets. We're the, the lowest, lowest end of middle class. So just like even on this planet, some people are enjoying much more than others, Correct? Some people are living in houses made out of cardboard and corrugated steel on the side of the road without any running water. And other people are living in huge mansions with dozens of servants and, you know, anything that they could ask for in their own private helicopter on the roof and so forth. <laughs> so there, there's places in the universe where people, even materially, where they have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands more sensory enjoyment than we have and a much longer lifespan and a much nicer body. No, Krishna's even willing to give us, if we, if we play by the rules, he's willing to give us a reasonably nice illusion. It's not like you fall from the spiritual world and you become a human in Kali Yuga immediately. You know, that's inconceivable. Okay, I was playing with Krishna and then, you know, I wanted to be the center and now all of a sudden, you know, I have to get a body with arthritis and diabetes and cancer and live in a crime-ridden area. It's not like that. The first birth is this Lord Brahma process. Where practically, it's almost spiritual. Your body is very subtle material. You're directly doing service for Krishna. You have great knowledge. We're talking about here, our knowledge is covered. You have great knowledge. You have great happiness. Almost. Almost. And from there, you can go right back to Godhead. You can say, oops. I made a mistake. Let me go home. And Brahma can very easily go back. So Krishna's even willing to give the illusion, you know, almost completely there. You can become Brahma, you can become the god of the universe, everyone in the universe is worshipping you, you're still doing service for Krishna. And you still have great knowledge and great power and great beauty and great opulence. So therefore this, this maya is Krishna's kindness. Krishna's kindness. Okay, you want this? Here it is. What are you going to do with it? And then, unfortunately, many of us really mess up with it and go, oh, I am Brahma. I am God. 
instead of remembering that I'm a servant of God. And we think, oh, it's not so bad. You know, I was warned that if I tried to enjoy separately from Krishna that I would suffer, but it's not so bad. Just like when people tell people drinking alcohol is bad, but someone may take one drink and they say, oh, it's not so bad, it's just fun. And then, you know, eventually they end up an alcoholic in the gutter in their vomit, but that doesn't happen with the first drink. So Brahma thinks, I'm the Lord of the universe. And then one gradually, gradually, gradually falls into the various species of life. But this material energy is Krishna's kindness. And not only does it facilitate our foolish material desires, but the material energy does also facilitate our liberation. The material energy is not only is not only a punisher. Material nature is again Durga Devi Vaishnavi. She's also a mother. I mean, she's not an ordinary mother. She rides around in a tiger, you know, trident. <laughs> but she also, as Krishna's sister, as Vaishnavi. She does care for the living entities, and she will help us also to come to Krishna's lotus feet. Again, we don't always appreciate the way that she helps us. Um, so her helping is sometimes a little bit tough love. <laughs> but, but she is also trying to help us in that regard. And once we become serious about Krishna consciousness, then she shows another face uh, entirely. It's just like if you're in a prison and you decide you want to reform. The prison is not only, at least theoretically, the prison is not only just for punishing criminals, the prison, again, at least theoretically, it doesn't always work like this, is also for the reform of the prisoners. At, at least in theory, the warden and the guards all want the prisoners to become good citizens. They don't, they don't simply want to make them suffer. And therefore, if you're in prison and you say, I want to become a good citizen, the prison leaders and the wardens, they will also facilitate that. They will give, there's, in many prisons, there's programs where you can get your college degree in prison and you can learn a trade in prison and they gradually teach you how to live again in the outside world. At least theoretically, that's how prisons are supposed to work and sometimes they work like that. So this Durga is also called a fort. This prison also works like that. That when we say to Krishna, I want to get out. I'm tired. I messed up. Mm-hmm. Robin says one time at the Hare Krishna Mantra, I'm so embarrassed by this material energy. Ah, I don't want to do it anymore. Of course, often we say that and then five minutes later we're serving the material energy again. You know, it's kind of like the guy who cheated on his wife with 50 women and he says, I'm going to reform and five minutes later she sees him flirting with somebody. So, you know, we tend to do that. Krishna, 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 I surrender. And then five minutes later, But when we really sincerely say to Krishna, my dear Lord, I surrender to you, then Maya Devi is the prison warden. Certainly she tests us because part of her business is to make sure that there's no recidivism. Right? In the ordinary prisons, you let out the prisoner and they often commit the same crime and they have to be put back in the prison. But Krishna guarantees once you get out, you're not going to have to go back in. I mean, if you want to, you can. It's not like Krishna's going to force you to stay in the spiritual world. <laughs> but Krishna's promising you're not going to have to come back into material illusion. So in order for that promise to be real, we have to be tested. Our desire has to be very strong. But in addition to testing us, Maya also gives us facility. Just like we have this yukti vairagya, we can use this body, we can even use this illusory identity in Krishna's service. We can use material buildings in Krishna's service. I mean, anything that the illusory energy is providing, we can also use in Krishna's service. And the illusory energy will also facilitate 
are coming back to Krishna. She will facilitate the gradual de- decreasing of that illusion. That's also her job. Her job is not to keep us in bondage perpetually. Her job is to fulfill our foolish desires in such a way that we will come to see that those desires are foolish. Hmm? So therefore, it is benevolent. So what we, what we are meant to do as devotees is to experience this illusory energy as Krishna's energy. And once we do that, it no longer is an illusory energy. As Krishna says in the, the chapter Sloka, whatever appears to be of value, if it is without relation to me, has no reality, nor to be my illusory energy, that reflection, which appears to be in darkness. The power of illusion is making things, things seem as if they're not related to Krishna. So as soon as we see everything is related to Krishna, including the energy that allows us to think that things are not related to Krishna, the energy that allows us to see things as separate from Krishna, that energy is not separate from Krishna. Something like, you know, the parents take the child outside. I remember my oldest son, whenever we took him anywhere, he would would like to walk far enough away that he couldn't see us anymore. When he was like two years old. <laughs> he really enjoyed doing that. But we wouldn't let him walk far enough away that we couldn't see him. We were always watching him. So we may think Krishna's not there. We may think that, you know, we're just far off, separate from Krishna. And Krishna may give us the illusion that, oh yes, you're separate from me. But, but Krishna's there. So once we see that even this material energy is Krishna's energy, that Krishna's all good, that Krishna's all giving, then the illusory energy no longer illusions us. So that is what we are trying to do in our Krishna consciousness movement. Not just to simply stop, not just to be silent and stop breathing and stop eating, and right? some yogis trying to but to use this material energy in such a way that it acts as our friend and that it helps us to realize Krishna. So questions, comments? Oh, I don't remember exactly <coughs> which verse that is. It's in the fifth canto with the glories of Lord Anantadev. That Ananda, uh, pretty sure, 99% sure that's what it is. And that the that Ananta who's holding he's holding all the planets. Yeah, he's holding all the planets. Ah. And he's facilitating everything in the material world. But when he sees that the conditioned living entities are not taking advantage of the instruction, he gets angry. And he says, I'll finish the whole thing. Forget it. We gave you this facility so you could become liberated. You're not using it like that. Burn the whole thing. Yes? Hare Krishna Mahadevaji, in this perfect situation, that although the material development energy is distinct from the spiritual energy, is one of the many energies of the Lord and past the material modes of nature are surely qualities of the Lord. So I have a confusion about modes of nature can be the qualities. Okay, I, I don't have this memorized. I'd have to go back to my computer and find it. Um, I don't have a printer. But I can try to get it printed for tomorrow. Can you come for tomorrow? 
original making note. And we will plan to answer that question of yours tomorrow. given by Bhakti Takura and I instead of trying to remember it imperfectly, I'd rather find it and give it to you perfectly. Yes? You're saying that uh, we surrender, we're saying I'll surrender to Krishna now. Maybe something we have some troubles and I'll surrender then. <coughs> maybe the troubles go away and we get you think, oh maybe the challenge is not so bad. So we sort of we go back and away, forth, back isn't and it? forth. So what's the cure for that tendency? <sighs> I don't know if there's just one cure. Uh, that's why generally Prabhu says the process is gradual. We surrender to some extent, and then it's like we take two steps forward, one step back, sometimes one step forward, three steps back. You know, it's, it's basically a question that we don't have faith. We don't have full faith. We don't have full conviction. What's the cure for that? Well, experience. As you surrender and you see it's good, you get some experience and you get some conviction that you should surrender. Association with devotees, especially devotees who are more surrendered and they're happy. And you say, well, this devotee, they're more surrendered than I am and he or she is happy, so maybe it's okay. Hearing about how wonderful Krishna is and how lousy the material energy is, so we have some impetus to surrender. Uh, sometimes the cure is Krishna gives you a big kick. That's what you want to avoid. <laughs> yeah, you try to avoid it. I think of it kind of that, like it's like Krishna standing in the doorway and he's going, "Come on!" And if we don't move, you know, he tries to entice us. He always seems to try to entice us first, positively. But if that doesn't work and we really need to move, he may make our seat hot. Sometimes the seat gets burning. Okay, I'm gone. <laughs> or you can think of it that Krishna, when Krishna wants his cows to go someplace, Bhakti Nautikura has this wonderful song, wonderful, wonderful song in his uh, series of songs about surrender, where he talks about being in the mood of being one of Krishna's cows or cats. And it's just, oh, it's beautiful, beautiful song. Says, you know, you, he said, you'll lead me to drink water by the bank of the Jamuna, and even though I drink the water poisoned by Kaliya, you will revive me. But not in the mood of a boy, in the mood of one of the cows. So when Krishna wants his calves to go somewhere, so he has different methods. What's his methods of getting the calves to go somewhere? What does he use? He can call them by their names, yeah, oh, that's sweet. And he has his um, beads. Just like we have our Japa beads of Tulsi wood. So he has his beads made out of. What are his beads made out of? Jewels. Jewels. And each bead is a different group of cows. So he calls them by the name. What else is Krishna? To get his cows to go from one place to another. Hmm? He has a stick. Yes, and what else? He has a horn. What else? His food. Yes, and something else that he usually keeps on his turban? A rope. So when Krishna wants his cows to go somewhere, he can call them by name, he can use the flute, he can use the horn, he can use the rope, he can use the stick. So, 
we have a choice as to what we want to respond to. <laughs> which, which method do we want Krishna to pull out? You know? Stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you asked for it. Were you right in front of the deities? I don't know what to say. <laughs> Be careful what you desire. But what I see is that if we respond to the flute and the horn, if we respond when Krishna calls our name, he doesn't pull out the stick and horn. That's what I'm seeing in my own life and in the life of other devotees. That the, the rope and the stick are, you know, last resorts. That Krishna first, he calls you by name. He plays his flute, blows his horn. Then he first does that way. So learn to respond in that way. That also is a good cure. But you, Krishna, will help us. We're going to Krishna and saying, I want to surrender, I want to be a pure devotee. And he will help. Again, he has a variety of methods of helping, and which method we respond to is up to us. He'll try one and then another and then another. Is that all right? Yeah, it's fine. Okay, anybody else? I'm sure Krishna mostly calls you by name and not with this. <laughs> Please write about it, but never use your stick on any <laughs> Just your flute. And just calling him by name. Always be kind. Yes. I, I think this is related, but nevertheless, I'll ask. Related to the earlier question by Yadu Prabhu. But um, if you're, you're unflinching and pretty steadfast in your faith in Krishna, um, and you're going through some of, like you explained, Durga Devi does some of her find her, 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 her test to seal the deal, to see how yeah. serious you are. So when you're going through that, your faith is still unflinching. Um, but what are other tools and strategies that you can use to, to deal with the oh, hardship? Yes. We, have, we have a whole like hour and a half seminar on dealing with obstacles and tests. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I can summarize that in like 30 seconds. Okay. But the, the main principle we're looking at here is that Krishna is benevolent. And that everything that is occurring to everyone, not only to the devotees, but even to the non-devotees, is ultimately benevolent. There is, there is no malevolence in Krishna, nor is there a malevolence in Durga Devi or in Lord Shiva, who are the you know, directly the masters of the material energy in the material world. There, there's no ill intent. Krishna has no envy in him. You know, it just, it just isn't there. He has no hatred of us. So our, our so-called obstacles, I can give you one. Uh, anybody have a, you have a pen? Can yes. you borrow your pen for a minute? Okay. So I'll give it this a simple, short thing. So, you know, for many years I taught children, 27. So one of the things you teach children to do is how to write. And there's various ways of holding a pen or pencil so that your writing will be more comfortable. You'll be able to write for a longer period of time without strain in the muscles of your hand. I mean, nowadays people hardly write at all anymore. It's becoming a lost art. But anyway, so we teach children that the best way to write is to hold the pen like this, the pen of a pencil like this. It's a certain, this particular way has been found to be the way in which you can write most comfortably for the longest period of time. But the majority of parents do not either make any effort to teach their children this, or they don't know, or whatever. And the children come to school holding their pencils all kinds of strange ways. They may hold it like this, or like this, or like this, or, you know, this is quite common. And 
so how are you going to get them to change? So in many cases, you just say to the child, hold your pencil like this, and they do. They, they just, they're obedient, and they're, they believe that you want to help them, and they just do that. But some children just will not do that. They just will not do it. So there's this little thing you can buy, very cheap, you know, costs maybe, I don't know, like 20 cents, and it, it fits on a, a pen or pencil. It's made out of rubber or plastic, and it has, it's molded in such a way that it, your fingers would go into it just perfectly. It basically forces, when you're using it, for you to put your fingers in the right position. So if the children are not, will not naturally do that, or if they really struggle to do it, then we give them one of these little pencil things. Is that an obstacle? Are we creating an obstacle for the child? How do you think the child perceives it? The child perceives it as an obstacle. Okay? So, so what do you think? Now some of the children will just say, okay, my teacher loves me, they're giving me this out of love, and they use it. By the way, if they use it nicely, what will we do with it after a very short time? We will take it away because it served its purpose. So as soon as they use the so-called obstacle properly, the obstacle becomes removed. Or it's no longer even perceived as an obstacle. If you're holding your pencil properly, then it's not uncomfortable even to use one of those things. So it's not like either, either we remove the obstacle or it's not perceived as an obstacle. But if the children think that the teachers are malevolent, if the children think, my teacher doesn't like me, she didn't make Jiva Das have one of those, she's just picking on me. <laughs> I'm not thinking Jiva Das doesn't have one because Jiva Das is already holding the pencil properly. You know, but if the children think like that, my teacher's just harassing me, my teacher doesn't like me, my teacher's just trying to make my life difficult. So what do you think they do with this little thing? What do you think they do? They take it off. The problem is if they take it off, we'll notice and we'll put it back on. So what else do they do? Take it off again. Well, that, that's a key word. So what else do they do? Sometimes they complain to their parents, yes? Like sometimes people go complain to the demigods. They try to circumvent Krishna. Okay, Krishna's not giving me this according to my destiny. Okay. You know, will you give me this? Prabhupada talks about Bhagavad Gita. That's why we say, pray to the demigods is a kind of lust. You're asking for something which is not due to you, which is not your destiny. What else do you think they do? Stop writing. Stop writing? Well, they can't do that. They have to get their work done. Any other idea what they do? Well, maybe they start using it. Well, the ones who don't want to use it. Throw a tantrum. They may throw a tantrum. <laughs> Do sometimes we do that? <laughs> we do it. You don't have to raise your hands. They'll move it up. They'll push it up, and they'll put their fingers over it. So they'll still hold the pencil the wrong way, and they'll push it up. Or some of the really clever kids will get two identical pencils, one with it on and one with it off. And whenever we're looking, they'll take the one with it on, and we're not looking at they use the other one. <laughs> All right, and then... How long will that happen? Will we have to give them that thing for? A long time, right? The more they try to avoid it, the longer it stays there. And the more aggressive the teacher becomes about how to get them to change their behavior. So all of our obstacles are something like that. There are all these little things on our pencil, and we're thinking, well, I just want to write, you know, why do I have this problem? Why has why is Krishna created this problem for me? 
And the best response is, what does Krishna want me to do with this? What is the message of Krishna? This is a real synopsis. But what is the message that I'm supposed to be getting from this? What is it that I need to adjust? What is it that I need to change? Sometimes it's very simple. Sometimes it's as simple as going to bed at a different time or moving your chair to another part of the room. Sometimes it's as complicated as, you know, getting married or getting renounced. You know, sometimes it's as complicated as moving to another part of the world. <laughs> sometimes it means saying, okay, I'm going to take initiation. I mean, it, sometimes it's finding the anarthas in your heart and facing them. Sometimes it's going up to someone that you're sure had offended you and figuring out that you offended them and offering your obeisances. I mean, they're all different. Each of our obstacle has a different form that is asking for a different response. And once you figure out the response, then the obstacle disappears. Prabhupada says, I think it's in the sixth canto, that Krishna turns all of our material impediments into spiritual service. Just, just using the keyboard from the beginning. Uh, just teaching printing. Or just teaching printing, yeah. I mean, nowadays with a lot of these little handheld devices, you can just talk to them too. You don't even have to type. <laughs> if you can get it to look at what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. Mine's pretty, mine's pretty good. Mine's pretty good. Mine often even gets horrible. And sometimes it gets obeisances. Sometimes it will say basement C's. You know? <laughs> so then you don't have to type anymore. And it probably. I found a call called Costa Rica and I called it says, Do you want to call Costa Rica? Yes. Ubramatri, you were mentioning in your lecture that Durga Devi also helps many times, like your brother, for example. Yes. She has So now, how Lord Shiva removed the false ego? How does Lord Shiva remove the false ego? What a wonderful question. So, I don't know if you know this, but um, what is that, the picture that's to the left of, Lord, of, of Chota Nityananda? What is that? Um, six That's the six Goswamis. Do we have And Okay. So we have Lord Shiva on our altar. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. In what form? Adwaitacharya. So Adwaitacharya being Sadashiva, he knows how to, because Lord Shiva is the master of the Ahankar. He's the master of the false ego. Such an excellent question. So he's the master of the Ahankar. He knows how to deal with the Ahankar. And Adwaitacharya says, what is his identity? Do you know what Adwaitacharya says his identity is? Servant. Servant. He says, Chaitanyara Dasamui Chaitanya. I'm sorry if any of you are Bengali, but I'm really butchering your language. Chaitanyara Dasamui Chaitanyara Dasa Chaitanyara Dasamui Tanyara Dasa Dasa. So we don't want to get rid of the I am. We're not trying to get rid of the I am. But I am a servant. I am a servant of Lord Chaitanya. I am a servant of Lord Chaitanya. I am a servant of Lord Chaitanya. And I am a servant of his servants. 
It's still I am. And I can still be proud of my master. I can have unlimited pride about my master. And I can still be an I am. And you can even have I am mine. I am Krishna's and Krishna is mine. Thank you very much, Shiva Prabhupada. Jai. 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 Jai.